0: Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights and this week we're discussing the Olympics. So I woke up this morning um, and was really pleased to see my notification on my on my on my phone that um, Great Britain has just in the early hours of the morning had won its first medal, um, and it was a gold at the Rio Olympics. Now, rather handily for our purposes, uh, the medal was won by a chap called Adam Peaty um, in a world record time of fifty-seven point one three seconds. Now, this uh, time was four tenths of a second uh, better. And his own record, uh, which he set earlier in these games. So tell me, Nick, in classic um, cognitive engineering podcast, we're talking about the Olympics, um, but actually we're possibly really talking about something else. Well, this
1: is, I think the question here which we're interested in is what are the limits to performance? Are we going to get to a point where world records are all in the past and we should hardly ever see world records being broken? Um, or is there, are there reasons to believe that things will continue to improve that we will have ever faster times and higher jumps and, you know, longer throws and so on. And um, so the now the question here is, how do we model what is happening to generate the results that we've got? Um, once we start to think about how we model what generates those times, we can start to see, well, what things do we think might be influencing it? And my first thought was, well, maybe it's just a statistical effect, right? So let's imagine you're... Um, you know you'll roll this is you've got 100 dice and you roll them and you add them all up and um then you you roll them all again and you add them up and you roll them again and each time you take note of what the highest number was um so you and you know the first time you roll it you, you might end up with you know you might get somewhere around 300 then you might have 250 and then you might have 350 and that's your new record so you keep rolling and then maybe you get 350 60 then you keep rolling you keep rolling and then a bit later on you know you the the you throw a record 385 and the point is that in a process like that the maximum will early on will change quite frequently um, and go up by quite a long way whereas later on as you repeat the process over and over and over again, uh, the the maximum will only change very infrequently because because you know m- most of the time uh, your rolls are going to be below whatever your previous maximum were, and and also you the the difference each time will be less and less. So you 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 know eventually you might your maximum might be you know four hundred and twenty, and you you might get a four hundred and twenty two. Um, so is is are the Olympics a process a bit like that? Are we simply sampling from the same distribution over and over again? And occasionally we get, you know, a, a freak uh, outcome and that then becomes the new time. Now, th- this is probably not the case, right? Because if you look at uh, what, I mean, OK, how big is the sample? You might say the sample is actually everyone in the world. Um, so if if we sample, if we've got the same sample, if we're sampling for the same population 100 years ago. Um, the world record was uh, 10.8 seconds for the 100 meter sprint, now it's 9.58 seconds. And in fact, Bolt's improvement uh, was the largest margin of improvement in between world records when he, I think he locked 0.11 seconds off. That, that now that's not what you'd expect to see when you have such a large sample you would expect to see much a much a, a real slowing off of of growth and it should it should be uh, very infrequent and very very small but actually the improvement has been kind of linear now now that what what that means because we have such a large sample we have been sampling from millions and millions of people uh every year to try and effectively find the fastest person on earth um with with processes like this, if if it's you know if it's a hundred billion or if it's one billion, you actually sort of affect expect to see more or less the same maximum. Uh, so what I'm saying is we've been getting faster than we should be if it was purely a statistical process. So that means something else is in play. Okay,
0: that's a good starting point, Peter.
2: Um, I think, well, the the, the the dice rolling statistical model, it seems that the model, the, the, the underlying physical processes haven't changed much. And I think uh, in uh, you know, sports science has come on hugely in the last couple of decades. Um, so has nutrition around the world, in many parts of the world, even in the UK, since the 1950s, nutrition is much better. So we're better placed to produce more and more better athletes uh, who are faster and faster. Um so the so the the the, the system that we're modelling has changed now. But 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 to push it further, so assuming you could minim, you could you could um, maximize everyone's possible potential. There must, there, I I think there must be some sort of upper biological limit. And to, unless you start bringing in things like selective breeding of athletes to 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 have a, a cadre of hundred hundred meter runners who all interbreed with each other, so they all have exceptionally long legs and ex- ex- exceptionally powerful leg muscles. Now, the, the, but if, assuming that we just sort of continue breeding with who we like, and we're not the, the sport is like adjunct to our lives, then the the the, the pace of evolution. Is going to be much slower, and it's probably going to uh, not factor into the results. So you would expect the number of world records to tail, uh, world record breakage, to tail off, and any world records thereafter would be sort of outliers uh, and and um, therefore subject to uh, suspicion.
1: Well, I, I think, and and the problem here is that actually the the 100 meter sprint is has been relatively immune from this the uh the long jump as well i mean that was an interesting one in that bob beeman uh in 1968 did an absolutely extraordinary jump which uh which was um uh what was it not 8.9 metres. it was longer than their measuring equipment um it, it you know and, and that held that actually held as a world record till 1991 and um that, that the as an olympic record it still stands um now uh the if you look at but if you look at a lot of categories of records um particularly the ones that were held in the sort of field events in the in the 70s and 80s there is now this unremovable stain of suspicion over them Mm. uh you know particularly the sort of strength related events like a shot put and the hammer um where you know they, they could have been achieved through um through doping and and so they're they're difficult things to look at um the, but but it, I mean to take the to take the sprints just as a sort of canonical example of something. It the the, the interestingly what what happened in nineteen seventy seven is they brought in uh, hundreds of a second. They started having computer uh, timing, so they were able to then do hundreds of a second. But even then, I mean the the improvement has been fairly linear. Now now that's that's the interesting thing is that it suggests that if you if we were approaching the limit of something, you would expect to see it leveling off. But the improvement has been linear, which means it could just be really, really unlucky, or, or lucky, the way that the data have fallen out. But it suggests that we're not close to the limit yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. With
1: that improvement, so so it, actually, even though it always seems inconceivable to every generation that the, that that we could beat times like uh, a Paul, it, it sort of also looking at the pattern of the data suggests
0: that we will. Well, let's take this in a different direction, okay? Um, so, if we if we depart from there for the moment, but I want to talk about marginal gains um, because although it connects to what we're talking about in the Olympics, and I think, um, for example, what's happening in the British team is is interesting in certain areas, where, um, for example, in cycling, where um, I don't know the name of the chat, but the coach or strategy director, whatever he's, whatever he's called for um, for cycling. Has, has made a big point about marginal gains and this is how we're going to uh, be successful and sure enough, that's precisely what has happened. But I want to sort of take it outside the realm of Olympics and sport and Peter, can you sort of tell us about marginal gains and... I, what's a better way to phrase that i mean what is the usefulness of marginal gains what does this tell us about the, the impact of marginal gains
2: so marginal gains just to explain really what it is is a very engineering system systematic approach to um, breaking apart the problem into smaller parts that you can then tackle uh, individually so in, in terms of sport that would be right, what's your ultimate objective objective say for a cycle team is to make the cyclist as fast as possible so that's the big problem when you you tackle it systemically so you say well what parts of this can we optimise in in, in individual, so there's there's two parts obvious parts, there's the bike and then there's the the athlete, so we can optimise each of those two, but then we can break those two down further so what what can we do to the bike to make the bike faster, Um, it's all about power transmission so we can optimise the drive chain, we can improve the tyres etc, so um, it's breaking everything down, but the marginal gains methodology is more than just Sort of tackling that from a uh, theoretical point of view, this rubber is better than this rubber for making tires, so we'll use that. It's actually conducting experiments because, particularly when it comes to the human, there are certain things that work for some people and work less for others. So, when it comes to uh, sleep patterns for athletes, all a- athletes are all different; they have different sleep patterns. So, um, you you conduct random trials. You say, well, okay, this even, we're going to change not much else. But today you're going to go to bed at six and wake up at six so you're going to get a full twelve hour sleep and we'll see what that does to your performance over the next phase of training if it has no effect we can we can ignore that and we can go back to how we were or however we, or try something else but if it has an effect we'll sort of work that into the into the regime so it's a, it's a it's a, it's deconstructive uh, and it allows for Evolutionary-like improvements in in capability. Now there are examples where similar approaches can be applied to engineering and other uh, other decisions. A good example is 1970s Unilever were having problems with their manufacture of washing so washing powder. The 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 nozzles kept blocking up. Essentially, the they, the design of the nozzles needed to be changed. So. They first attempted to get a load of the- uh, theoretical um, physicists and mathematicians, to uh, experts in fluid dynamics and everything else, to, to come up with the the best thing um, that they could. And they and they made a new design, which still kept blocking up. It was, may have been a marginal improvement, but it wasn't great. So as a as a na- another attempt, they got a load of e- evolutionary biologists. I don't know why the, these guys were employed by Unilever, but they were to to. Um, to tackle it differently. So what they did was different me- methodology entirely. They um, just made a series of modifications, tri- trialed a series of different designs that were similar to uh, the first design, picked which worked the best, then created a new set of designs like the first one, picked which one was the best, and iterated this process. And eventually you, you're left with a design which no theoretician would ever come up with, but worked better than uh, any other design. I was going to say, hey, that
0: sounds like evolution, but you kind of said that at the beginning. So. Well, the, the,
1: the reason that that approach can work in those contexts and in sport is that we have a very easily defined objective. Hmm. You can't use this sort of approach where we don't have that. So, so um, you know, things like, uh, well, an example I've mentioned before, but trying to design, you know, trying to trying to build a perfect blockbuster film for example we don't know what we're trying to achieve so we can't we really only have sort of sales and that's driven by tons of other things which aren't just about your film um whereas whereas uh, things like you know whether or not a nozzle gets blocked are reasonably easy to measure and and um the outcome uh, of a, a sports training regime is also easy to measure you can you know mm-hmm. because we know that it is entirely described by the time at least in terms of what we're trying to achieve with the Olympics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that points to, uh, you know, a useful way of thinking about whether the evolutionary approach is going to work for your problem. Is, you know, do you know exactly what it is you're trying to achieve? And if you do, actually, this kind of scientific approach is quite a good one. Um,
0: okay. Um, but but
1: I, I think it's interesting. Uh, there are also... The question is whether there are going to be non-marginal improvements. So classic example might be the Fosbury flop, which is the style of uh, doing high jumps, that uh, was invented. It was an innovation, and um, you know previously there were kind of the flopping over forwards, and there was the scissors sort of approach. Mm. And uh, Dick Fosbury invented Great, a way eh? of doing it where he jumps backwards. Yeah. And um, actually, you know, the, when you when you look at the the physics of that, uh, it sort of makes perfect sense because you're keeping you can, you can keep your center of gravity below the bar, so you, you effectively don't have to propel your body up as high as the bar because your body is kind of work almost coiling around the bar so you know it makes it makes sense but but no one came up with it until he tried it or that you know would have said well that's never going to work i'm not going to not going to build my strategy around that um now the question is are they are they out there do we have any more of these gains to be made somewhere in sport um can you bank on them other is there is there a process you can use to try and find them
2: Okay, so marginal gains, yes, but innovation, and, that, and, that, yes. and that's a, that's a big criticism of the marginal gains approach because it focuses you down onto improving on what you're already doing. You're potentially missing out. You 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 begin to maximise towards a local maxima rather than making bigger jumps and hopefully finding a a, a, a bigger max, the maxima of the the, the thing you're trying to optimise.
0: Okay, so um, so where do we go from here, Nick? Well, one other thing we could think about is the is the theoretical limits,
1: right? Now, uh, you know how fast could a thing the size of a human do the hundred meters in? And um, when you when you ask that question, almost for for every category of uh, activity, the answer is we're absolutely nowhere near those sorts of the physical Really? Limits. Well, in the sense that you could sort of imagine build. Now, it depends what your constraints are. You know, if it, as it still got to have two legs, you know. Um, can it have is it allowed to have wheels you know so the 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 question of how much if you could genetically engineer a human Mm. you know to to be as efficient as possible while still being in some sense conforming to what we understand to be a human uh you know if that was possible would we then start to want to regulate that and say actually you know you're not allowed to enter the 100 meter sprint unless you've you know, you've got certain, uh, you you conform to certain limitations. You've got you you can only have two legs. They've, those legs have to be a certain percentage of your body height. Um, I mean, one of the reasons the same Bolt so is so fast is he's very tall. So, you know, could could you, as Peter touched on it, but could you imagine breeding for height, um, really optimizing a person towards the um, hundred meter sprint, and and do it that way?
2: Peter, uh, yeah, this and this, this touches on a, a bit of sports science, which is only beginning. It's it's, it's you see it being used in big inf- institutional sport like football and things, where athletes at the very earliest age, when they are taking an interest in sport and looking like they have potential, are pre-selected based on their body type and their and their stature. There are still you still see the odd um, long distance runners and the odd cyclists who are just a slightly strange shape compared to many other cyclists. Mm. And um, that may give them an edge in certain things like sprinting. You want big, powerful people, but they are not going to be a general category, general category rider. Um, but there are certain optimizations, so you could take the marginal gains approach and optimize even further. And if somebody's showing an interest in archery, suggest actually, well, archery you might be a bit wasted. Why not try hundred meters sprint, hundred meters sprinting instead? Um, and there's lots of optimizations still there, and that that would probably get you a lot closer to the the theoretical maximum that uh, the, the human body can out.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a this is the um... You know, it's a question about Mozart, of, of of whether or not he, you know, everyone says he was a prodigy and wrote, you know, symphonies at the age of five and so on. But how, do, how many other Mozarts are out there who just simply didn't have a piano in the house or a dad who kind of pushed them in that direction? Technology, which enables you to identify good people and to promote them, uh, is a perfectly good way of getting better performance. So it's effectively, we're widening the pool. Now, you know, if, if, if we're so, um, you know, just even... Some of the things people have pointed to is the greater participation of women in society um, means that if you have, you know, if you've got relative gender equality, you're, you're going to do better in the Olympics because women are more likely to, to um, take part in sport. Uh, you know, things like that, social technologies, which, which sort of enable people to realise their potential, are just as good as coming up with a new design of shoe.
0: Or even better, have a really autocratic government yeah which which
1: pushes people yeah you have an army of people yeah yeah Yeah.
0: or a chinese approach i'm thinking more but yeah russian as well but just have an army of people scouts who go out there looking for someone who's four foot tall when they're eight years old or whatever go great you're going to be a gymnast um and off you go that's probably not quite the right parameters but anyway look we're pretty much there um Anything burning that anyone wants to add or anything you want to say to wrap this up?
2: Picking, picking up a point that Nick was alluding to about the need for greater controls and legislation around sort of enhanced performance and things, there's, there's a, a good sort of test debate going on at the moment in Paralympics. A lot of the Olympians are uh, under a course of gene therapy for their particular disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a very fine line between gene therapy and gene doping. And it's it's a very difficult area to, to unpick. Un, un, if, if you're getting therapy, which is um, fixing a neurological disorder, and you are in the and you are competing as a uh, neurologically disabled person, at what point does your your therapy become doping? And 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 should you should sort of therefore be excluded because you are having your 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 you're you uh, getting therapy which is fixing the thing which is which is not mm-hmm. working correctly.
1: Yeah, but it's possible to imagine a a kind
0: of disability in inverted commas which makes you a really good sprinter. Well, no, this is or a really good swimmer. So this is what was happening with Oscar Pistorius, where he wanted to race in the normal Olympics. Um, but they're saying, no, you can't because your prosthetics so will give you an advantage. And I know, it's, I know that's taking a step further than what you're saying with the natural... Um... Well, although, you know, is it any different to just choose? How do we know, you know, uh,
1: how, why do we... It's still only his own power. It's not like they're powered legs. I mean, it, you know, it's still his own power. Mm. So uh, it is a very tricky call. I mean, I think, you know, why Why, why isn't it just, Perhaps the best way to be a good sprinter is to, um, you know, to, to be an amputee with, uh, with you know, d- a different
0: sort of shoe. What, what if that is, well, you know, why not? Well, I look forward to seeing your submission to the British Olympic Committee about this. So it's a great idea. <laughs> um, OK, we're going to stop there. I mean, what I take away from this and what I really liked was... Uh, peter's advocacy of being able to breed with whomever we want um, I, I like that so that's that's a good takeaway um so if yeah, they'll have if they'll have you fraser if <laughs> damn that's the <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> not good um okay so we'll stop there um thank you very much guys um you've been listening to the cognitive engineering podcast uh, i'm fraser mcgrew we've been here with nick Hare and peter Coghill. thank you for listening and until next time goodbye